The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Back to the short game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my very cool co-hosts, Laura Nash. Well, you think I'm cool? It's a, it's, it, yeah, it, it, it's just, it's just something I say for the podcast. I'm, 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 I'm Shane Kelly. Nice bit. Yeah. <laughs> and we are talking this week about a hand with many fingers, a first-person investigative thriller. Uh, so this is a game that I was kind of excited to play because I don't see very many games that use this style of storytelling. Uh, and I think we've had a bit of a mixed experience with it, but it's still really interesting to talk about. Um, who wants to take a crack at explaining what A Hand With Many Fingers is? So the premise of A Hand With Many Fingers is that you are a maybe postdoc graduate school, something like that. You're getting your thesis done and your professor has sent you to the archives to do some research for an article he's writing. Uh, you move around this library going between boxes, card catalogs, and actual newspaper clippings you pull out of those boxes uh, to try to assemble uh, a conspiracy. You're trying to find out information piece by piece, um, literally piecing together on a conspiracy board full of red twine what happened in the past. Um, and it is really about the research into what was going on in Sydney, Nicaragua, etc. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this is that from a story perspective, it's based on real historical events. Uh, so we're going to have a spoiler break at the end where we're going to discuss the actual story. We're going to try to keep that pretty light prior to spoilers. But uh, a little bit of sort of the the outline of the story that you're investigating here is that this is uh, we're investigating the sort of story of uh, Nugent Hand Bank, uh, which is a real uh, investor bank in Australia that it turns that 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 was uh, allegedly involved in many many shady things. Uh, so it's uh, uh, when we're doing our research, we're trying to uncover the the true story of what was happening with this bank, their involvement with the CIA, their involvement with, uh, with uh, drugs and other, uh, other things uh, globally. Uh, and it's at a time, uh, you're, you're, uh, this seems to be set around the time of the Iran-Contra um, uh, scandal, um, because there's a, you know, in one of the rooms, there is a television that's literally playing a little video of Ronald Reagan on a loop. Um, and so you're, uh, and this, the, uh, and that sort of hints at the kind of story that you're uncovering here. It's the same sort of, um, intelligence thriller, uh, you know, scandal that, uh, that Iran-Contra was, but uh, one that less people will have heard of unless you happen to be paying a lot of attention to Australian news in the 70s. And it's, it's also kind of worth mentioning just the, the, desi- the unique design of this game is one of the things I think we can talk about early without, you know, spoiling anything. It has a really um, stripped down look that is kind of like that sort of illustrative realism style that you see in a lot of like graphic design or commercial art. Um, and basically low poly, um, you know, flat color, very kind of, um, I would say, I want to say basic, but just like just clear in for the most part. Um, and the thing that, in terms of the design of the way the game actually works, it is uh, it's br- it's drawing from a lot of places you don't see in a lot of games, even like mystery games. So the the actual like gameplay loop here is um, pretty unique and more akin to some stuff you you see outside of the world of video games and in kind of the other realms of gaming. I mean, we do you want to talk about that first, or what do we want to get into before we start uh, spoiling? How many hands are on this finger? Mm-hmm. Many, many, many. Fingers. How many fingers are in the fi- lot, finger hands? A lot of fingers. Um, so 
the the core kind of loop of this, the core experience is that you know obviously you uh, you're going to be investigating this story. Um, the game starts you by handing you a box full of documents. You put it on a desk, and you can go through that that box of documents. And each document has uh, you know a scrap of information. They, the documents are things like photographs, newspaper clippings, receipts, uh, you know, in, internal CIA memos, and they're in no particular order. Um, and uh, for your convenience as a researcher, uh, it has gone through and highlighted all of the names, locations, and years on these documents, uh, which is very important because the main way that you're going to be kind of progressing on to another box to uncover new information, you know, the the uh, the basement is full of these boxes to the point where there's absolutely no way you could just go through them all or like randomly select boxes. Most of them are. Uh, you know, not relevant to your investigation. Um, so the only way to find out what the next box you should be opening is, is to use a card catalog system. You need to assemble a, a sort of query uh, by choosing a name, uh, a year, and a location. So for example, you might have a box and you you know might think, okay, I want to look up uh, Frank Nugan, 1980, Australia. Um, because perhaps you had a a document in a previous box that mentioned all three of those together in a place where you maybe want to find out more. Um, So that means then that you need to go to the card catalog. The card catalogs are separated by region. So you would find the like Oceania uh, card catalog, for example. You'd pull the drawer for 1980. And in that would be a series of cards with different people's names on them. You'd find the Nugan card. And it might have one, two, or even three box identifiers on it. The IDs for the boxes are these sort of serial numbers. Uh, Then you need to go, and we're talking about, by the way, this is all in first person. You're walking around with a, you know, in my case, uh, WASD, like mouse look kind of arrangement. You then walk downstairs to the basement, find the box you're interested in, bring it back up the stairs, put it on the desk in the office, open it, and repeat that process. Um, and so that's the sort of core loop of the game. A, a sort of side part of that is that every time you get these documents, you have the option, or actually you have to, if you pick them up, you have to put them somewhere. You can pin them to a cork board in that office. You have a large cork board and you have a large map cork board. Uh, and you can pin all of these documents on either one anywhere you want. And if you like, you can use a interface to draw little lines or like red twine between them in the sort of traditional like crazy person research uh, conspiracy theory cork board with a bunch of of red twine on it kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of the core experience of the game using this sort of uh, research interface, this sort of very analog kind of clunky research process to try to uncover the details of this mysterious story. The thing that really drew me to this game uh, was the corkboard. Because although this game is very much up my alley uh, in terms of its subject matter, I think it's very cool that it's based on a real story. Not just based on it, it's using na- real names, real events, real photographs. Mm-hmm. Fake, um, fake documents, it should be said, uh, but they're like yes. you know, fake documents about real events. Yeah. Um, and the 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 cool thing to me about this, um, we had just very recently played Nuts for the show, right? Nuts is a spy game in a sense. You are setting up these cameras to like spy on, uh, you know, in this case, not, um, you know, human beings, but squirrels, which, you know, is much more interesting, I have found. Um, but the... The, the thing that you would do in that game that I found really fun was you'd, you'd print out the photos on the little, you know, graphical printer uh, and, and you'd, you'd actually pick up the photograph and then you could pin it to the cork board. And I remember in that, or actually you could pin them on the walls and things like that. Um, in, um, in that, I, I really liked that aspect of the game. And when I saw that this game also had that and in fact it was like a core part of the game like building your conspiracy theory cork board um that really is what sold me on this game um and i thought it it does a pretty good job of building that interface in a way that's really satisfying um when you first start this game up the first thing it tells you is this is a game that is going to basically require you to take notes with a pencil and paper 
which I found to be very true. Absolutely. Especially writing down like the, the box serial numbers and like which correlations you have and haven't tried um, because you can kind of um, you, you can kind of free associate to progress in this game, which is something I also find really satisfying. It's that her story aspect where you are taking specific words from different pieces and piecing it together to know where to go next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did a lot of that. So for example, like, you know, in the example of like, uh, look up Frank Nugan, 1980, Australia. Um, and then previously, I might have heard that the 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 Nugan Hand Bank was founded in 1974 or something, I think. I might not necessarily need to find a document that says Frank Nugan founded the bank in 1974, but I could go back and say, mm, I bet if I looked up his name in the 1974 file, I'd probably find something there too. Um, so that sort of free association definitely was a big part of how I kind of moved from box to box in this. The the actual getting of the boxes is pretty neat. Um, you're going down into this basement and grabbing them. Personally, I found this aspect of it a little bit annoying because it does just sort of pad out how long it takes you to progress. Like if I know I need to go down in the basement and get box number like one, five, eight slash three, you know, already I'm going through the card catalog to find that number, which, you know, this, this takes, this adds this real like tactile element that is fun and cool. The first, like, you know, 10 times you do it, but I think, um, well, maybe, maybe not 10 times, but it does kind of get old to continually be climbing up and down these stairs. Yeah. I will say though, that like there's, uh, I, I looked up uh, because I got kind of stuck towards the end of the game. I looked up like, okay, how many are boxes are like key to solving the the story? And the developer has published on their on their Steam page a uh, a walkthrough of sorts. So if you do get truly stuck, you can look up. Here's a list of all of the key boxes that you will need in order to complete the, the story. Um, and there are only like twelve of them. Uh, so it's not an extremely long game. Um, but I kind of share. Oh yeah, it's like two hours max. Yeah, um, but I kind of share your uh, your you know your feeling about that. Probably you know if you've been if you've been frustrated a little bit, maybe you're like really uh, really struggled to find that next box. Then the walk down or the walk back up with the box can feel a little bit uh, a little bit tedious. It's clearly like part of it, but it's it's one of those things that like. It's hard to say where this this element will wear out its welcome for you. And for me, it, it was still kind of a neat aspect of it most of the way through. But I, I definitely know yeah. what you mean. For me, it, it's funny. This didn't bother me at all. Um, mainly, maybe because I was having a lot of um, issues elsewhere. But this was the easiest thing in the game for me to do was walk down the stairs, find a box, click on it and bring it back up because I was having a lot of trouble with other elements, which I'll get into. But to me, it was almost like, it was kind of like, I wish I could have grabbed five boxes at once, <laughs> but I oh, yeah. like that was the main uh, artificial limit was that you can only grab one box at a time. You can't just grab all the boxes. You're Those things for. are heavy, Laura. Did you know they have five pieces of paper They're in them? so heavy. I know. <laughs> it would just be really, um, you know, there was a kind of um lottery element because you go down and you have a list of five boxes and you grab the first one you put it down and it's useless <laughs> i mean there's some stuff but yeah. it doesn't it's it just repeating everything you know the really frustrating um, thing for me was going down the stairs looking for a box and finding it gone and realizing that i was going to get a box i already had you already had <laughs> yeah i was yes. i was very careful about crossing off boxes i had already picked up yeah my that notes weren't one. probably the best <laughs> What's really funny is is I, I if you do try just like going and grabbing random boxes, it will let you carry them all the way up back to the desk, even if it's a box that is uh I would say probably ninety percent of the boxes in the in the game are just like red herring boxes. And if you take them to the desk and put them down, it basically says, Yeah, no. Then the box just like vanishes. <laughs> um I honestly like that 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 to me kind of um, kind of broke a little bit of the immersion. The fact that like I uh, I couldn't just sort of leaf through the records and like find anything like unrelated or intriguing or interesting. Like I think if this were uh maybe part of a larger game, I don't think this concept itself would work at a size that much bigger than it is. But if it were part of maybe a larger investigative game or puzzle game as a mechanic, I think it could really work. Um, 
But in in that case, I would really want to be able to just sort of like dig through. I, I'm a big fan of like the holistic detective. Uh, you know, dirt, <laughs> he would have been really fun. Style. <laughs> yeah. Had you picked up a box and you so when you grab a box and you open it, uh, like three or four article, like a couple articles will pop up that are mm-hmm. considered pertinent to the case. Um, I would have enjoyed if. Um, when you pop up, there were like 10 pieces of paper and maybe like a trash can or a discard pile. And there were things that you couldn't put on your board because they were unrelated and you had to put them in a discard. Yeah. Pile. Like, like just a, like, like a, this is useless piece would have been really Oh, fun. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Have the papers come out of the box and then just slot slowly slot into a folder called unrelated war crimes. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. I, I, um, I, you know, when you mentioned this Shane on the discord, I, I immediately felt like it really would have if this game had had an unlimited budget because this is a this is a five dollar game on itch and steam made by a single developer. There's no way this has really have been possible in this scope. But like it would have been amazing if those other boxes had had other mysteries in them. Like if I could go in there, pick a random box off of the shelf and just start exploring some other different story, uh, maybe with a bunch of related boxes elsewhere. Like there's hundreds and hundreds of boxes in these in these rooms. So it would have been a massive amount of work to con- construct anything even remotely, you know, uh, like that. But it really was kind of like, wow, there's all these boxes. It's so, it's so cool that I'm in this weird CIA annex with all these documents. And you just want to look through them all. And the fact that you, you know, only the only boxes that you can even open are the ones that are directly, the, the 12 that are directly related to the case. It's a, it's a little bit immersion breaking and I guess a little disappointing. The, the main thing that I was kind of excited about with this game was that uh, we talked several times on this show about how her story, you know, when it first came out, you know, we just re-aired that episode last week, and I remember when we were when we were in that episode, we talked about that the, the her story formula felt so new and fresh, and it felt like something that people were going to immediately copy, right? And uh, her story did two kind of really really unusual things at its time. One was it was a game uh, uh, that was you know using FMV in a way that had never been used in games before, um, and that has not very out of fashion. Yeah, very out of fashion, and still very out of fashion. There have been a few. FMV games that have come since, like I remember we covered Erica, for example, but uh, but like not a ton of FMV and even fewer games about research. So her story, if you haven't played it or you don't remember, uh, you know, is a game about trying to unravel a mysterious story that is provided to you in the format of a sort of totally un, uh, unorganized database of video clips of police interviews. Uh, and you can't just watch them in order. You can only search for them by topic or by 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 word keywords. Uh, and so you have to kind of piece this story together by using a frankly kind of broken research tool uh, to kind of assemble a story. And that's really what this game felt like to me too, but in a much more analog way. You know, this is a game about doing research, trying to uncover a story in a nonlinear way by uh, by essentially searching. In her story, you're typing in searches. Here, you're using a catalog, card catalog. It's like one level more removed. Um, and I was very excited about that. And this did sort of work in that way. Like I, I, I at least when I was first getting started, and there was a sort of initial rush of uncovering box after box and and having you know plenty of leads to go down and starting to piece together the story, it really, really worked for me in that way. In a similar way to the way that her story kind of made me feel like excited to move on to the next clip. You know, you'd find you'd find some keyword that suddenly unlocked 10 clips and it was like, wow, I can't wait to watch all of this and see what what you know what I've just discovered. Uh, opening a new box here felt a little bit like that. Towards the end of the game, it started and I mean, this may have been a little bit true with her story too, so I'm not contrasting them here, but towards the end of the game, um, I started hitting a lot more just sort of like walls of, I don't know what to look up next. I, you know, I've, uh, I'd think of something like, oh, I wonder if there's a card for this character's name in this part of the world. And I'd go and look, no, there wasn't. I wonder if maybe that same year, but a different part of the world, no, and a lot of just sort of checking card catalogs and finding nothing uh, and getting and feeling pretty stuck at the end. And I will admit that towards the end of this game, uh, I think probably the last two boxes, 
I just ended up going to that uh, that list that the developer posted that I mentioned earlier and saying, oh, I have no idea how I would have found this box identifier, but I'm just going to go grab the next box, um, which felt like a little bit of a defeat. Uh, and uh, so I, I'd say <clears throat> flow-wise, it's not as strong. You know, there's uh, with her story, it sort of felt like it accelerated at the end um, because of the the way that the the content was structured. You'd you know you'd find some new keyword, and and towards the end of the game, you were you were just discovering this stuff you know faster and faster. It felt like things were accelerating, and here it sort of felt like as my ability to I guess think laterally or notice connections was slowing down, uh, it just sort of ground to a halt for me, and that kind of was a bummer. Um, and I know, Laura, you had some other complaints as well that were unrelated to sort of the overall structure. Um, so maybe now would be a good time to talk about that experience you had. Yeah, um, our Discord Patreon users can go hear me uh, or read me uh, having a mental breakdown on the chat. But basically, I haven't hard bounced off a game in a while. I haven't been this angry at a game in a while. And I think it's because on paper, this game is made for me. Uh, not Extremely. Only, like, I love research games. I probably spent a longer in her story than anyone else just because I loved all the sidetracks. I um, love this topic. Like, I have read, like, thousands of pages about CIA history. <laughs> I love Cold War. Like I love um, like International Spy Museum podcasts. This is subject matter. This kind of research in physical world, like in the real world, is something I enjoy doing. I love the in-person library rabbit trail of following stuff between books. Um, on paper, this game is catnip. And in practice, I was so frustrated with the controls and the fiddly physicality of this game that I rage quit. And then a week later, tried to play it again, and I ended up rage quitting again. Um, it is a rare game that makes me this mad. I think the issue is I've played games like Gone Home and Firewatch, and this first-person thing is not new to me. I've played a lot of them. But the precision nature is... Like, you have to put, putting things on the board should be the most satisfying, immersive experience. Putting evidence on the board, making connections between it should be a mental activity. And it became a physical one because the, I was using a trackpad and then I was using a mouse and then I was using a different computer and then I changed the mouse sensitivity settings and then I was using a different mouse. I tried many things. But putting a piece of evidence up on a wall that isn't flat 2D and making it work, just the physicality, the fact that when you want to put twine on something, you can't click on the full large post-it note. You have to click precisely on the pin. And that is something that my computer did not want to do. Like all these little fiddly decisions in the card catalog, when you pull it out, you can't like you have to one by one scroll your way through a card catalog and if you're having mouse control sensitivity issues that is a really easy way to misclick backwards or forwards like even just exiting out once something is full screen you can't hit escape that pauses the game (laughs) like all these little control issues meant that I was supposed to be immersed in the mystery I was supposed to be having all of these atmospheric feelings and instead, I just ended up being incredibly angry at the controls to the point that I was like, if this wasn't for the podcast, 30 minutes ago, I would have done a Let's Play. I have a feeling that it probably took me 45 minutes to get what took you guys 10 minutes because I, I solved the puzzles. I like knew what I had a list of like seven books to look up. I could go get that stuff and retrieve it. But I was supposed to be enjoying reading the articles and putting them on the board. But like even just turning around with my article, like something was weird with the camera. It kept putting me on the ceiling. I was just like, if I could just grab an evidence board, click a button and then stick it on a 2d board, that would have taken me two seconds. And every time it was 45 seconds to a minute. And it just drove me up the wall. Like this is, this 
exact corkboard interface is a thing I do every day virtually for my job. I do virtual whiteboards, virtual corkboards, basically. And so I am extremely well-versed in that and their shortfalls. So this made me feel like I was doing my job, but in a <laughs> scene on TV commercial where it's like, she can't use the popcorn <laughs> or like, like it was quap, but for my job. And I was like, uh-huh. why? It was like Octodad where I like forgot how to walk. I was like, these are things I do all the time. Why is this so hard? Uh, I, it's like you're opening up Microsoft Word, but in a first-person shooter. Yeah, right. yeah. That's and you're what I trying to like. interact with this like totally flat thing, but with mouse look. I totally agree. I found that pretty frustrating, too. it changing my view to be like, I was like, I want to put this article on a wall. And the wall kept defaulting to a three-quarter isometric point of view, where it was like, do you want to put the article far away from you or close to you? And I was like, I want to put it next to the other one. Just let me put it next to the other one. Yeah, I think I had less trouble with this than you, but I definitely got frustrated with it occasionally too. And I think really if, I mean, I don't know how what this would have taken for this game to accomplish it, but I really think this game ought to have a special mode that it would go into like when you are arranging the whiteboard where it would essentially become 2D and rather than having like the camera tied to your mouse, just let you mouse around on the the corkboard. It doesn't really make sense to try to do that in in, you know, 3D in first person. Just do a flat corkboard where I can click on something, read it, like zoom in and out. Like I literally use these interfaces. You can't do it in Unity easily, I'm sure. And the rest of the game is in Unity. But to me, the heart of the game is making that board of evidence. And I would rather have that be the main experience of the game than have an immersive 3D world I wander around. Like, so this is an interesting point, though. Like, you say that's the core of the game, and it clearly is a, is probably one of the most important parts of the game as far as the developer is concerned, too. All of the marketing materials center on the corkboard. Uh, the, the, like, artwork for the game is a picture of the corkboard with the title over it. Um, but also, the corkboard is an entirely optional part of the experience, and I basically didn't engage with it because, I don't know, maybe it's just the way that I think, but, like... I, you know, I started, I was just like, I'm just reading through these articles, right? I just wanted to read enough that I would understand the story and the idea of like spending some time to think about, okay, well, what should I tie to what with twine? That wasn't interesting to me. And it certainly didn't help me make connections. Um, cause like you kind of have to know the connection and then it's like, okay, I already know the connection. I'm not going to forget it between now and the next time I come back to this room. Why do I need the, the yarn? But the game requires, when you look at an article, you have to put it somewhere. Yeah. And so I assumed that my invisible progress bar was tied to not necessarily making the right connections, but the number of things on the board and the number of connections. Because it's not like you have a box count. Mm -hmm. Like my my you kind of have a box count from the pile of boxes that stack up next to your workspace, right? But like my assumption was that the amount of stuff on the board was being tracked somewhere, and that was my progress. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in the game that says this is optional. And I assumed because I had, I had no choice. Every time I saw an article, I had to turn around and place it on the board. Mm-hmm. You do, Yeah, you do have around. to place it on the board. I, my, my approach was basically like, I'm just going to throw everything up onto the board and I'll make these connections with yarn later. And then I never ended up really doing it. I did a couple of yarn lines just to kind of experiment yeah. with the interface. I found it a little frustrating like you did, but then I didn't really engage with it any further, which is a bit of a miss because it would have been, it would have been fun to do that more. This style of board, the point of this kind of arrangement of, of objects on a corkboard is in the real world, usually not to like solve the mystery. You're not putting these things up and making twine connections because you can't make those connections in your mind. The point of this kind of thing is usually as a presentation aid. So mm-hmm. people make this kind of board and then take it to, I don't know, uh, the lead detective and say, boss, I've cracked it. Look. So so I kind of wonder if that's part of it. But it's also 
a grouping mechanism. Like to me, this mm-hmm. is also probably taking a lot of my baggage around whiteboards, but the point is to be able to quickly group and regroup things together to make unforeseen connections. So you initially might be grouping things mm-hmm. by the order you get it. You might group by people, but then you say, maybe if I rearrange this by country, that's an interesting way to, to find new connections. Like maybe if I connect by theme, like this is financial fraud. This is like how people died. This is like, that's what I wanted to do with the board was group and regroup stuff. And using the board was such a painful yeah. experience that I never even tried to do that because it was useless to me. It, it was so frustrating that I didn't get to use the board how I use boards to think. Like, I think of it as an extension of my brain. Like, this is how I use boards. So the fact that I could barely put a thing on a board, let alone move it, meant that I was mad I had to use it in the first place. Yeah, I totally get that. And it's a bit of a miss. I could see, like, I actually kind of wish this game had made it more explicit that the board was optional. Um, But it is, like, it's also kind of one of the central, like, design ideas of the game. So I can see why they really want to encourage you to engage with it. Um, It's just a bit of a miss. Um, Actually, a pretty pretty serious miss, in my opinion. But, uh, and maybe even more so in Laura's. Sorry, Laura. it made the game basically unplayable. And I was, if I wasn't so intrigued by the game and like, I really wanted to play this game and I felt, I just, I literally yelled at the computer. Why won't you let me love you? <laughs> <laughs> because I was so mad at it because I wanted like the promise and all the writing and everything was like, I should love this game. I just wish that it was not. Again, I felt like such an idiot for the controls. And in a game like this, I want to feel like an idiot for not making the the mental connections. I want to feel like a puzzle idiot, not a. Mm -hmm. I will always hate a game where I feel like a control idiot. Yeah, I have a I have a suspicion that there is some technical limitation going on here because like I, uh, I, you know, I, I definitely don't love like using 2d interfaces with mouse look like if I'm playing a, a first person shooter where you have to like go up to and use a computer, this happens a lot in things like immersive Sims, you, you, you um, uh, sometimes they'll have the approach where it like pulls up the screen and you can free mouse around on the screen. Uh, but other times you have to on the fly, aim your camera at a button on the screen that might be at an arbitrary height and at a weird oblique angle to you. And it's never been a good thing to do. It's never, ever been good. So like, I totally share that frustration, but also yeah. I think I, I suspect that there might be some technical angle here that like it, it's maybe cause I, I play this on windows. Did you play it on windows or Mac? I played it on Mac on two Macs, uh-huh. including a newer one. Shane, did you play this on windows or Mac? Both. Oh, okay. Did you find any difference on your end between the, no, Okay, so I was wondering if maybe it was that, but uh, I guess not. So I, I found it frustrating, but I found it frustrating in a, in a way that I was familiar with with other games. Like I've, I've dealt with this kind of like poke a button on a 2D screen using a first person camera before, and I hate it every time, but I can do it. I know that there are um, other environmental immersive aspects to this game that we'll get into. Like as you research, like more things happen. I wanted to not be mad Uh, For example, I don't think it's a spoiler to say at some point a phone will ring. I was more, I was mad that I had to like go to the phone and pick it up because I had just finally gotten something to work. And I should have been like, oh, cool. The phone is ringing. And I was like, oh no, another like object I have to interact with. The phone was fine to deal with. But at the time my my thought was, oh no, is this going to be another interface problem? Yeah. And that's that was a disappointment because I wanted this. I, I, I think this game, had I had no control issues, really would have worked on me. And I just was disappointed. Yeah. And so I, I'd say like, if this if that sounds like a nightmare to you, the listener, then maybe steer clear of this one. Well, there's a demo. That's true. So that's true. I, I didn't know there was a demo. So like maybe I would have realized in the demo that I had these problems. Because if you don't have these problems, I'm sure this game is great. So yeah. maybe try the demo. Is that on is that on Steam? I'm not seeing a demo on the itch page. There's an itch.io demo. Oh, um, I see. So it's free to download the demo. So you can see if you have these issues. Also, we should say that the game is uh, on itch.io, it is full price $5, but they also have a pay what you want $1 option. So uh, if you're really not sure and you want to do a, a quick 
uh, you know, $1, download it and see if it works for you. And then maybe, you know, buy it full price afterwards if you like it um, or something like that. That's also an option. So there's, there's definitely, you know, ways to make sure that this will work for you and see if you will have this problem before you commit to playing it. And I'm the only one on the podcast with this problem. We've had this, like, weird, sometimes Nate has a problem with something. Like, sometimes there's one person who has control issue with the game. So, like, don't take that as a, like, do not play. Just maybe check out the demo if you're worried. Yeah, it's, and and that sort of thing can happen. Um, Sometimes it's a technical thing. Sometimes it's a brain problems thing. God knows I have enough of those. So, you know, who knows? knows? Uh, Your mileage may vary. Um, the, the most important thing about this game though, is probably its story. And so that's why I definitely want us to have a quick spoiler break, uh, in order to, uh, to jump into what actually happened with this mysterious story. But before we go to our spoiler break, uh, we're going to do our, what's making you happy this week segment. Uh, so I'll start with Shane. Thank you. Shane, what's making you happy this week? Yeah. Um, so it was a tough week to really roll into things that are making me happy because, uh, as I think we mentioned on the feed earlier, uh, Houston, Texas was completely annihilated by an ice storm, which yeah. uh, wrecked my shit. Uh, and uh, if you hear the sound of pipes being cut uh, right now on the podcast, that's happening outside of my window uh, to replace my pipes. But the thing that is making me happy is that you know, uh, delayed a few days by the winter storm, but finally arriving, I am now the proud owner of a Windows PC. Uh, and this is Ooh. the first time in my whole life that I've actually owned a Windows PC, uh, oddly enough. Um, yes, we have we have been podcasting about video games for five years. And in that whole time, I have never saw fit to buy a Windows PC that I could play those games on. Um, but I am, I now have a, a fancy new Windows PC with the, the hot new graphics card, the 1070, you know, not the, didn't uh, go too not, crazy. Not the, not the 1070, got, you got, got a 3070. 1070 would put you squarely in, uh, in the, I need an upgrade category. <laughs> yeah. The 3070. That's what I meant. See, I don't know shit about shit. But uh, so, yeah, I can't tell you listeners that much about my PC because, like I said, I've never had one before. I don't really know that much about them. Uh, But what I have really been enjoying is uh, setting it up and putting all the games on it. So the the funny thing is that having done this show for so long and, you know, I've, I've been on Steam and all that. I've played Steam games on Mac and stuff. I have a fairly big catalog of games on steam games on itch.io uh games on the epic store wherever um and installing them all kind of all at once onto (laughs) this new pc um well first it uh, annihilated the data cap on my home internet connection which uh, i have never actually exceeded before but i have now exceeded for the first time uh and second going back and playing games that i i know i like uh but finally with actually good graphics is just awesome. Um, I, I have really gotten... It's very easy for this to happen for me, I have learned. But I've been pulled back into No Man's Sky. That's one thing that has just really pulled me back in. Because that's a game that really benefits from looking good. Um, and it's just... It's one I've spent probably hundreds of hours in. And it's really easy to just sort of slide back in there and, and kind of see, oh, look, when I build the base here, I can... I, you know, I, I can see the clouds. The clouds look so much nicer. Ooh, <laughs> you know, and the colors and the little animals. I can see the animals from farther away. Look, they're moving in herds. <laughs> they do move in herds. <laughs> Thank you. Jinx. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so that's pretty much what's making me happy this week. It's also what's kind of really going to be annihilating my like my attentiveness to like actual podcast games for a while because I have a lot of stuff that's in my backlog that I haven't been able to play in the past and I want to play now. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of short games in your backlog too. We can uh, we can make this a synergy. There are. I mean, that's what, kind of why I got it. I want to I want to be able to do more short games. But it's also because, you know, I want to play Destiny 2 at ultra settings. Uh, and that's not going to help this show. So, sorry, <laughs> no. listeners. No! No! Uh, <laughs> 
So that, you know that's what's going on, and it it is it is a pleasant distraction from the fact that I am still uh, not completely fixed from all my pipes busting. I am still washing uh, my. Well, I'm not washing plates. I'm using paper plates. But those things that I must wash, I'm washing in the bathtub. Um, so, you know, one of these days, my life will be all back together. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but until then, I have No Man's Sky. That's awesome. I, you know, my my what's making me happy this week is uh, a bit of a, a, a spin off of that, which is that, like, I, I mentioned already that I rebuilt my gaming PC recently and got a, a subscription to... Um, what's it called? Uh, Xbox Game Pass for PC. And uh, I've tried a number of games off of there. And the thing that has been the stickiest for me lately has become a total like Zen wind down game for me. And that's Lonely Mountains Downhill. Have either of you guys seen that game? Laura, no, you haven't seen that? So Lonely Mountains Downhill, it's not oh. new. I think it came out like 2018 or something. Um, it's a downhill mountain biking game. Uh, and it's really slotted perfectly into a sort of like a wind down game, uh, spot for me. Uh, I, I almost didn't want to talk about it here cause I was like, maybe we could do a show on this, but I kind of just don't think it's right for the short game because it's mostly about, uh, downhill m- mountain biking. It's actually, it's actually pretty meaty. There's a lot of content, so I wouldn't think it's necessarily a short game necessarily. Um, but it's just like, so first of all, visually it's got this, really beautiful sort of like low poly, but lots of like sort of textural detail, uh, kind of look to it. It's, uh, you know, it's a bit of like, uh, you know, indie game, the aesthetic right now, you know, that, that sort of, uh, low poly 3d, but it's really, really beautifully done. And it's all in these, like, uh, this natural settings. So, uh, the game is arranged into a bunch of mountains. Each mountain has a number of different tracks down the sides that you can, you can take, uh, and you're you're just starting at the top of the mountain and biking your way down. Uh, and there's various different challenges, things like, you know, how fast can you do that mountain bike down? How uh, how many times do you fall off of your bike? Because, like, you brush against a rock and, foof, you go ragdoll flying off the mountain in a very amusing way. Um, what's a little unusual about this game, what makes it look like it wouldn't work, and what I what kept me from playing it originally is that this is a game that uses a sort of uh 2d style camera, like a, like a, like a third person camera where you're looking down on the mountain from sort of like a two thirds perspective, I guess. And it's a pretty close crop. So you can't actually see that far ahead of you on your path. Um, I, I think of it as a little bit like, like the downhill mountain biking version of a platformer. Um, so it, And also the controls are a little bit unusual. At first I didn't jive with them and then instantly after like a couple of runs, they they clicked and now they feel perfect. The controls are extremely good in this game, but initially it seemed like they didn't work. Uh, And that's basically that they're screen relative controls. So like you're hitting left or right on the screen to like aim your mountain left or right relative to the screen, Um, which is weird considering it is fully three-dimensional. It's like, it's, 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 there's so many things about this game that seem like it shouldn't work, and yet it really, really does. Um, the There's no music whatsoever. It does entirely just sort of like environmental sound. So like during my work day yesterday, I literally just booted up the title screen and used it for background noise because it's this like beautiful like nature sounds background, right? Um, or like you go near a, a waterfall and you hear the sounds of the waterfall in the distance, that kind of thing. Um, but there's just something really, really bizarrely compelling about this game. Um, so anyway, I want to recommend people check that out. It's on basically every platform. It's not on mobile as far as I know, um, but it is on, you know, Steam and the Nintendo Switch and all the platforms. So I really, really like it. Uh, you should go check it out. So Laura, what's making you happy this week? So, uh, the days are full of endless monotony. So (laughs) I have decided that, um, you know, hobbies take a lot of effort. Um, what I really need is something to make each day feel a little different. So I've purchased uh, two like sampler packs of things that are going to sound very bougie, but they're cheap and they are definitely making each day different. And those are perfume samples and tea samples. Oh. Hear me out. They're so pleasant. You are probably sick of your apartment. And you are smelling the same things every day, unless you like you can cook food, but you know, 
basically like it is novel to get a different smell and uh you can buy two milliliter perfume samples for like four to eight dollars and they last for 24 sprays which is more than anybody not going anywhere is going to (laughs) use And I bought like four or five of them. I bought like about twenty dollars worth of perfume samples, and it is just so novel to spray like one spray on your wrist and just be like, "You smell something different," and it's dumb, but it's very exciting <laughs> midday to be like, "Ah, what is going on? Like, what a novel experience I'm having at two p.m. randomly." So, if you there are also cologne samples, if you already do, <laughs> like. Also, the thing is, in real world, I don't tend to wear it because I, I am worried about annoying coworkers with scent. Like, I'm very worried about people who have allergies. Um, now you got only one them. person to annoy in your in your space. It's myself. <laughs> I just annoy myself. And if I don't like it, like, the thing is, I'm also washing my hands so much that, like, if like you wash off the scent, you can replace it with a new one if you're bored. Um, also, this has gone to, like, I bought a tea sampler pack of 60 sachets of like two or three per sachet and it's just like i have decaf teas i like i don't know a lot about teas i generally just drank earl gray and decaf earl gray like adore me but now i'm like oh do i have opinions about cylon and like what about this like is it better to have organic chamomile i don't like i didn't pick these out myself i didn't have to do the effort to know stuff but now i can actually like if I want a hot beverage that's not caffeinated, I have 15 options. And if I want a caffeinated beverage that's not coffee, I have, you know, another 30 options. It's been really nice. Again, cheap. Tea is super cheap. It is giving me some novelty, and I feel like I'm learning a new skill. Like, I think I'm going to come out of this with opinions about perfume and opinions about tea. Finally, new things to be a snob about. I can't wait. <laughs> That's all I want. No, honestly, like, we've kind of done the same thing with the tea. My wife, I don't know where she got it, but she came home with some kind of, like, thing with 30 different types of tea, and I've kind of been working my way through it, too. And um, it's nice. I drink a lot of coffee in the mornings, but tea is a good afternoon beverage. Tea is a great afternoon beverage, and it also is, like, a good excuse to get up from your desk. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go boil some water. Like, the water, like in five minutes, I will have tea, and then, like, I get to drink it and, like, form an opinion on it. And it's it, – it feels so funny to be, like, we need new things to have thoughts about. But, like, I – it is much cheaper and less detrimental to my health than like trying a wine of the month or a whiskey of the month. Like this just feels like a daily thing I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like if I was in an office or the WeWork, like maybe there would be snacks. Like <laughs> you know what? there's no surprise snacks. That's true. And I have to surprise myself with like, <laughs> and, uh, do I like peppermint tea? Maybe I don't. <laughs> Let's find out. Like, it sounds so corny. No, no, I completely, like, I completely understand that. Like my, my wife is, you know, still going into the hospital to work. Um, not every day. She's still working partly, um, partly from home, but like they have like a lounge with snacks there. And occasionally she'll, she'll Snapchat me photos of like, uh, like, Oh look, they have these like Oreo thins here. And, and I'm like, I haven't had a new snack that I didn't specifically choose from a grocery store in a year. Yeah. So like, I am hoping like there might be more sampler packs in my future, but like kind of grabbing a bunch of stuff in an area you don't know about, like cheap stuff, putting it in the cart, stuff you use that's disposable, like stuff you can use and never see in your apartment again. has just been bringing me a lot of joy. Um, you know, you drink tea and then you throw it out. Like it's done. Mm-hmm. It is, there's like, I feel like I've done a, an activity Lame as it is. It's not a hobby that requires a lot of additional equipment or space in your place. No, and, and you feel like you've done something just for you. And it's not like skincare where you're like, is this going to make me break out? It's like, does this little tiny bottle cost $60? No, this little tiny bottle, like this tea bag cost me like 50 cents. Nice. <laughs> what a good luxury. Yeah, well, that's that's a really, really good suggestion. I uh, That's a good making me happy this week. So thank you, Laura. Uh, and, tea and perfume samples. <laughs> and in case you're... Ho- Smell good. <laughs> nice. Uh, 
Uh, so in case, listeners, so in case you're hopping off here, we're about to go to our spoiler break. So here's the admin and outro. Uh, I'm Reagan Kelly. You can find me on the internet at Reagan K on Twitter. And you can find our show on the internet at underscore short game or www.theshortgame.net. On our website there, you'll find a contact form. That's a good way to reach out to us if you want, or you can email us, info at theshortgame.net. You can also uh, contact us on our Discord, which is an exclusive benefit of supporting the show on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash theshortgame, you can support us at even just a dollar a month and get in on uh, on the Short Game Discord, which is where we plan the show. We talk about the games we're playing. We have lively discussions of game design and things like that there. We also post various gifts and things. So if you're interested, uh, join us there. We'd be happy to have you. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about baseball next week. Oh my God, I can't wait. I cannot wait for more baseball. Uh, so yeah, join us for that there. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane had to emergency drop off of the podcast. So by the magic of editing, he'll be back for the, the spoiler break segment. But you can imagine Shane is here and he would have said you can find him on Twitter at 8BitShane. And listeners, here it is, your spoiler break. How about this story? Uh, the uh, d- would it would it make sense for us just to sort of talk about what we uh, what we uncovered, what what happened? And I mean, I, I can also say that I I did some research after the fact and sort of read up on the uh, the actual historical story here too, so I can I can talk about that too. But do we want to talk about like what we uncovered during the course of the game? Sure. I I also real quick before we do that, I want to talk about like the meta layer of like the increasing menace of the game, which is something I didn't experience, but I want to hear about your um, real time. Uh, you know, and I, I have to say, honestly, I think it was a little bit overstated in the, in the, oh, in the yeah? marketing description. Oh. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. get that phone call at one point. That's like a little unsettling. Um, but there's, unless I missed something, I didn't really pick up on a lot of like the, 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 the description of the game says something like um, experience a story of creeping paranoia and says things like, but the archive might not be as empty as you think. And I'm not... I mean, there's a car parked outside the whole time. Yeah, so there's that. Um, I... Maybe it's yours. Yeah, I was like... A... But it could be your car. Just, just there being a car didn't didn't spook me exactly. Um, so, like, I didn't find... Like, I would have liked more of that. I would have liked more, like, you know, go downstairs, come back up, and something has changed. Or... A weird you know, noise. That kind of thing. And unless I missed stuff, the only real like knockout thing that happens is that when you go and get, so the very last, the next to last box you get actually just has a key to a locked door in the archives and lets you into a final room in the archives that has one final box in it. It's an empty room with nothing but just one box in it. And I, I think I saw some some notes in some of the other boxes that kind of imply that they were like in the process of destroying evidence. Um, and so maybe this is just like the one box that they missed. But when you bring that last box back up, the room that you're in where you had been doing your research, a car has crashed its way through the wall. Uh, and uh, a bunch of I, actually, I don't remember. I think that your stuff is still on the corkboard. Um, but maybe they took the boxes. I forget. But anyway, the, there, there's a car that's crashed through the door or through the wall. And it's clear that like. You know, somebody doesn't didn't want you finding this last detail, um, and then once you've once you've had a chance to look at your stuff, then the credits roll. Um, but yeah, it, it was a little bit of underwhelming in terms of like I I, w- I would have liked more of that sort of environmental changes throughout. Um, you know, something something to creep me out more, or kind of imply that people are like observing your your work or something like that. Would have been nice to see more. Well, Shane, do you want to try to take us through what the story was? Yeah, sort of. Um, so basically, here's here's what I have vaguely pieced together. And I, I'm kind of, this is kind of a blur because I've now kind of wikipedia Michael Hand as well. Uh, uh, but um, the, the, the first details they give you are all about uh, Michael Hand and his association with the Hand Nugan Bank in Australia. Um, and like his lawyer and all the, the details of the kind of mysterious suicide, which we never really get any closure or details on. I, um, but basically, uh, it, what, what seems to have happened here is that, uh, there was some sort of 
investment or or there was there's connections. It's hard to hard to say what between the him and organized crime and the CIA. Um, and at a certain point, uh, he kind of crashes the bank, takes all the money, and is uh, helped by the CIA to move to America and uh, change his identity. Is that about the size of it? I think so. I think the, the kind of broad strokes of the story are that you know they they created this bank basically through fraud um, and uh, associated themselves with a bunch of current and ex-CIA and military people from the U.S. Was it Hand that was a ex-Green Beret? Uh, yes, but, but yes. pretty much yeah. everybody they associated with, too. Um, right. And, uh, and they were involved in a bunch of stuff. Um, the game kind of gives you hints at a lot of it. Um, the key stuff was sort of like, th- this all ties into efforts that the CIA and sort of U.S. intelligence generally had around um, supporting uh, anti-communist factions throughout the world, um, and especially in sort of the wake of the Vietnam War. Um, and so uh, a lot of what seems to be going on here is that this merchant bank, this shady merchant bank from Australia, is being used to move money around uh, globally to support uh, people that the U.S. doesn't want to support in a more visible way. Uh, and that includes everything from uh, helping people sell their heroin on the global market in order to get, you know, to, to export heroin and import money, uh, as well as like uh, dealing in weapons, selling weapons to to anti-communist fighters and things like that, but but also just sort of shady people globally. Um, there's a lot of like little details, and I, I'm not really the right person to summarize it, but uh, you do learn a lot of really interesting little tidbits about this stuff. The whole sort of house of cards comes crumbling down when one of the two founders of the bank, uh, the um, I forget his first name, uh, oh, Frank Nugan, mm-hmm. he uh, shoots himself uh, or may have shot himself. This is one of the things that I found a little unsatisfying, and this might just be a, a side effect of the fact that they're telling yeah. a real-world story. Really because in reality, uh, at least as far as any research I could do was concerned, it, it was alleged that maybe he didn't kill himself. There was some evidence, like a lack of fingerprints on the gun, that indicated that maybe he didn't kill himself and was actually murdered. But we don't know. And so the game can't tell us that. Um, in the context of a game, that's a kind of important question that you really have, right? Like, I really wanted to know, like, how and why did Frank Nugent die? It seemed like the sort of central, one of the central pillars of this mystery. And it's one that you never really find out. And it's because it's not really knowable, at least not from our perspective. You know, maybe if you were the, the CIA director or something, you would have a better idea. I'm curious because of flow, uh, because I didn't finish the game, what are like what it considers the deep game revelations. Uh, because that flow was pretty evident from the beginning and it was just flushing out details. But I, I don't really know what like the late stage revelations were like, what was in that last box? Oh boy, what was in the last box? This is another element of it. Like, See, that's the thing I think you would yeah, remember. Yeah, and I don't. And that's, that is a sort huh. of weird thing. Do you remember that the car hit the building? Yeah, that's the thing. I think personally, I think this mystery is I mean, it's it's intriguing because we're talking about a true story mystery um, in in a game. But it wasn't a mystery that I felt super compelled by. Like, it wasn't one that I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to find out what this ex Green Beret did. Yeah. You know, why did he why did he track? What happened yeah, this here? is one of the like perils of doing a, a true story like this is like, you know, if you're doing a fictional mystery, you can set up the pacing of it a little more controlled way and you can have more um, interesting or charismatic characters. These are just a bunch of white guys from, you know, mostly America and uh, and Australia um, who aren't really the most interesting characters as people. Um, and so the the overall sort of mystery of it is like interesting from a from a like historical sense and the act of uncovering details still felt interesting and compelling to me. But as a story overall, like I contrast this with something like her story where it was, it was telling, I won't spoil it here, but like it was telling a much more um, melodramatic and heightened story. 
Uh, and that worked much better for me in this context because it, it was like, you know, you, you'd learn these things and it was like, it would like recast everything that you knew, right? Whereas like, it, it does, like Laura said, become pretty obvious early on that like, okay, this is a merchant bank and a couple of guys who are committing fraud and working with the CIA. And the end of the story is, yup, that's what you, what you suspected yeah. at the beginning is true. And here is some additional evidence to that effect. Um, who are you rooting for in this story? I don't think there is anyone in in the story of the Nugan Hand Bank uh, that you can that you can root for. Uh, the car. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure how much else there is to say about the the story of the game. If you're curious about the story of the game and aren't particularly interested in playing it, uh, you can go down a real good Wikipedia hole here. I I spent a good uh, 30 minutes just reading the Wikipedia article about Nugan Hand Bank and then branching off from that into the Wikipedia article about all of the main players and Air America, which was a, a thing that I wasn't familiar with, which was an interesting uh, footnote here about a, uh, a, a commercial airline uh, during the, um, the Vietnam War that was owned by the CIA and used for a bunch of interesting purposes. So uh, a lot of stuff that I didn't know about as an American that is part of our, you know, our history and and uh, the history of, of the CIA that, you know, is interesting to find out about. And, it, and this is a compelling context to, to learn about it. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're just interested in the story, this is just a, a, a different way of finding a bunch of information that you can also find on Wikipedia if you are so inclined. Or in a book. Uh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure a lot of this was mentioned in um, A Legacy of Ashes, which is like a huge detailed version of CIA. But the problem is I read that book, well, like the year it came out, which was... 12 years ago so i don't remember the details because turns out if you know 800 page book about things to the cia is going to have a lot like maybe this was a chapter maybe it was two pages i don't remember <laughs> cia <laughs> like, has done a long. lot of stuff <laughs> cia has done a lot of stuff yeah <laughs> so it's great to get an, an, like a, a reason to look at one specific incident in uh little twine uh detail yeah pretty neat stuff so um uh, we'll just leave it here. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the short game and we hope to be with you next week.